Dear Heavenly Father, your sun shines with the brightness of the true light. Grant that as we have known the mysteries of that life on earth, we may also come to the fullness of his joys in heaven. To that end, guide our meditations on your word this morning. Amen. Good friends in Christ, December has often been called the season of lights, and there are a few shining examples of that here in Zona. At one time, Wisconsin Rapids, a medium-sized city not far from where we live, held an annual competition. Held. Until one unemployed computer programmer armed with an early Apple PC, an enhanced home stereo system, and thousands of strings of light literally blew the competition away. News helicopters from Green Bay and Madison, both over 100 miles away, were flying in just to film this light show extravaganza set to music. All too often, the glamour and the glare of these such displays reflected ignorance of the real purpose, the real identity of the Advent season. Rudolph Snow's may guide Santa's sleigh, but most of the world remains in the dark. And while we may lament their misdirected focus, we must admit that being in the dark is a good place to start searching for the light. We all have some experience with the challenges of being in the dark. Those of you who have ever been on a 24-hour call know the joys of a 2 a.m. phone ringing someplace in the darkness. You fumble around the nightstand trying to find the offending sound, snatching it up, you stumble out of the room trying not to disturb your partner, only to stub your toe on the door jam. You stifle an expletive as you search for the hall light switch. But now, now you're about to get an earful of someone else's problem. John came to a people acquainted with the dark. A people whose God first broke the darkness with their create, his creating word. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. A people whose God had separated her from her enemies by the light of his fire. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved him up behind them. And the pillar of God moved from before them and stood behind them, I mean, between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud, and there was the darkness. And it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. And so with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, Yahweh led Israel out of the darkness of Egyptian slavery. He led them into a land that he had promised to their forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. But the light did not last. They forsook his ways, and God brought the darkness of defeat and deportation among them. Yet even in the darkness of deportation, God sent his prophet. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has arisen upon you, I shall world. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The setting was ripe for the rising of the glory of God. At least that was the opinion of the day, John's day. They flocked to him across the Jordan, anticipating the light of the coming one, scattering the darkness of the Roman gloom. The evangelist records the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And then a string of questions when they didn't get the right answer. Who then? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? The one like Moses? 
Moses on so long ago? I am not the Christ. I am not. No. The answers get shorter and shorter as the darkness seems to close in even tighter. Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? A voice of one crying in the wilderness. A voice in the darkness. We, you and I, need to admit, to confess the darkness, the uncertainty of the future that will not turn around with the coming winter solstice. The future is inscrutable, unpredictable, and uncertain. Virginia Woolf wrote in her diary in January of 1915, the future is dark, which is on the whole the best thing the future can be, I think. We always live in this type of darkness. But the magnitude of our uncertainty, the darkness around us, has deepened greatly this last year. When will the vaccines reach Solomon? What about the allergic reactions reported in England? Is it safe? Is it wise? What about Christmas? Is it prudent to gather the family? Will that be socially acceptable? What about the economy? How many of our local small businesses will be gone with the pandemic? What about the schools? Or here at Redeemer, what about the schools? Sunday school and Bible class, when will it be safe to gather again? Will we recover from the drop in attendance? Or are we just getting lazy about attendance? What about the larger church? Will the decline in so many churches and church bodies accelerate as a result? What will ministry look like on the other side of the pandemic? It is like the blind leading the blind. The future is dark indeed. But the darkness out there really only mirrors the darkness that is in here, in my heart, in yours. Darkness is the sin of unbelief. The sin against the first commandment and a denial of the first article. The sin that cannot see because it will not see in the darkness of uncertainty. But John, but John comes pointing to the light. Take a moment and, and look at your bulletin cover. It is a wonderful exercise in perspective. John is pointing back behind himself, out of our field of vision. No doubt the artist has the verse immediately after our text in mind. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But notice how that unseen presence appears to radiate light back into John's world, breaking down, breaking up the hash marks that surround him. We need John. We need the word, the coming word incarnate that he announced. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life is the life of men. We need the Word because we cannot find the life on our own. We were dead in trespasses and sin, in utter darkness. Our sin-darkened hearts are not like the semi-darkness where we search for the hall light switch. Ambient light seeps into all of our homes, whether it's city lights from outside or a digital clock on the countertop or the glow of your cell phone on the inside. No, our hearts are more akin to the total darkness of a cave when the tour guide kills the power and 
and smothering darkness envelops everything. Into that type of darkness our text speaks. Notice the progression of our text. First, the evangelist tells us John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Then John himself confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Christ, that true light. Finally, John points to the light, declaring, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he comes after me. They did not know him. They did not recognize him, even though he stood in their midst. But soon, Jesus would claim the title for himself. John chapter 8. Perhaps before some of those same Pharisees who sent the delegation of our text. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here is the light shining in the darkness. Darkness has not overcome. This battle between life and darkness reaches its climax at the cross. All three of the synoptic gospels tell us about the darkness at the cross. Mark chapter 15, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. But why not John? Why doesn't John tell us about the darkness at the cross? He was there. None of the others were. This evangelist who makes the most out of the dichotomy between light and dark for one simple reason. For John, the crucifixion is Christ's exaltation, his victory. Chapter 12, when the Greeks come seeking Jesus, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he calls on the Father to glorify your name, and a voice thundered from heaven. And Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. There might be physical darkness, they both of them. But John points us to the light of Christ shining in the darkness. His victory over the darkness. His declaration, it is finished. You are redeemed. Today, as the baptized, we joyfully acclaim the gift of light and life that is ours in Jesus. We live in a community united by and in his blood. Hence, we listen to each other's confession and then pronounce the absolution in the name of our crucified and resurrected Savior, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Spirit. We forgive you all of your sins. We pronounce, we announce again the coming of the true life. We also confess in the second sense. We affirm the truth of the word incarnate as part of our confession of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is one of the beauties of this order of worship and its catechetical section that invites us to review the first three chief parts of the faith, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. I pray that this is only the beginning of a pu the public side of a renewed hearing and studying of the word of life. With the coming of the light, all that we fear falls away, melts away. The dragon looking in the corner turns out to be just a pile of dirty clothes we did not put away before bed. 
the monster glowering on the chair beside the bed turns into a stuffed teddy bear. And everyone knows that the snakes never come out from under the bed when the light is on. We are not the light. But just as John came to bear witness to the light, we are sent to reflect the light. In closing, I'd like to share with you some of the wisdom of one of the great church fathers, Augustine of Hippo, on that idea of sharing, reflecting that light. He writes, But the, the apostles too, my brothers and sisters, are lamps for the day. Do not imagine that John alone is a lamp, and the apostles are not. The Lord said to them, You are the light of the world. And in case you should suppose they were light of the same sort as the light about which it said that was the true light, enlightens everyone coming into the world, he went on immediately to teach them about this true light. After saying, you are the light of the world, he added, nobody likes the lamp, puts it under a bushel. You call them you light, and then you are a lamp. Do not jump about for joy in your pride in case its little flame gets blown out. I'm not placing you under a bushel, but in order to shine, I shall put you on my stand. Listen to the lampstand. Be lamps. You shall have a lampstand. The cross of Christ is a great lampstand. Whoever wishes to shine must not be ashamed of this wooden lampstand. Let's go. Words of wisdom as we go out into a darkened and darkening world. Be lamps. Shine from the cross of Christ. For Jesus, the true light, came with light in life for this dark and uncertain time and place. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We continue with prayer on page 265. Would you please stand?